This is Instant Replay on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Featuring the best of the best from today's conversations, observations, and ruminations. Because great radio is still fresh the second time around. Earlier today on the Mac and Bone Show. Right now we get to bring in a man who talks about football a ton now on the GM Shuffle podcast. But he lived it. Unlike us, he lived it in front offices in the NFL. And uh, he joins us to talk football. We want to get his opinion about the Panthers and, and what's going on here with this with this operation. He also wants to promote his book, Football Done Right. He is Michael Lombardi, and he joins us here on the Mac and Bone Show in Charlotte. Michael, thanks for coming on, man. How you doing? I'm doing great, thank you. Appreciate you having me. Appreciate you. Thank right, you. Before we get into the Panthers and the, and the frustrating loss and Bryce's debut and all that stuff, well, I want to at least give you a chance. And, and we and I know Bones been looking. Bones has a copy of the book and has been reading it. What what do what are uh, our listeners going to get if they buy your book? What is what's what are they going to learn? What's this all about? Well, I, I think what they're going to learn, and I hope they'll learn, is uh, the history of the game from a coaching perspective. How coaches kind of came about from the the five coaches who really have made the game what we know it is today. And then I rank the coaches. I also put a criteria in for what it takes to get in the Hall of Fame for a coach because it's so random. I mean, Dick Vermeil's the 35th winningest coach in NFL history, and Marty Schottenheimer's the eighth, and Marty can't get in, and Dick Vermeil got in. Marty's got a 61% winning percentage. Vermeil's got a 52% winning percentage. Marty's won 200 games. You know, Vermeil hasn't come close to that number. Now, Vermeil won a Super Bowl. Marty didn't. Is that the, is that is that what we're doing? I don't know. So I set a criteria. And again, when, when I wrote this book, I'm not trying to get anyone out of the Hall of Fame. Uh, everybody who's in deserves their gold jacket they got in. I'm just trying to make it easy make it more accessible for people to have a criteria. The only person that I have a grudge against in the book is George Preston Marshall, the owner of the Washington football team, who should not be in the Hall of Fame for his racial discrimination. But that goes uh, that, that goes without saying. I write about that. And then I talk about how, to, how trades often happen in the NFL. I talk about how uh, the impact of television, how the great Howard Cosell and Brett Musburger and Jimmy the Greek uh, really promoted this game and made it into what it is today. And the franchise value owe a lot to what those guys have done for the game. I, I talk about draft, the, the, the history of the draft. I talk about some of the great teams that weren't really recognized, the Houston Oilers back in the day, the Love You Blue team with Warren Moon and all those great players. And then I ranked the top 100 players, one through 100, but I put them in categories. So, you know, like Dion mentioned earlier, and I've written this book before Dion mentioned it, that everybody is in the Hall of Fame deserves to be, but there is levels. Dion. Uh, you know, Dion's level of play is different than somebody else's level of play. Randy Moss is a wide receiver. Tommy McDonald's a wide receiver. They're both in the Hall of Fame. Randy Shack, it's a little different than Tommy McDonald's. Yeah, yeah. The book is titled Football Done Right, Setting the Record Straight on the Coaches, Players, and History of the NFL. Some big-time names uh, have write-ups on the cover, forward by Jim Nance, Bill Belichick, Pat McAfee, Adam Schefter, all commenting on the book. Michael, what was your assessment of Bryce Young week one at Atlanta? A national media member gave him an F as a grade. What was your your assessment of what you saw from Bryce Young in week one? Well, I mean, I, I mean, I don't know. You know, I have a whole rule, evaluate the evaluator. Like, that, you know, that's what this book I wrote about is about. 
Sometimes I think the people in the media don't know how to evaluate. I thought Brett, Bryce Young's going to be great. I still think he's going to be great. Great rhythm, great timing. You know, did he throw an interception? Of course. You know, Peyton Manning turned the ball over an awful lot when he was a rookie. But this kid's got unique skills. He's got great instincts. He's got great rhythm and timing. Bill Walsh would have loved watching him play because his arm is attached to his feet and his mind is quick-minded. And he can see things. And he can play fast. He can play fast, which is really important. And I think he's going to be great. I think he showed it in that game. I think he's got unbelievable potential. And as they get the team around them better, I wish he was under center more. I wish he wasn't always in shotgun. I wish they had a better, a little bit more of a two-back run game, a little bit more of a way to move him. But I think I think the offense hasn't fit to his skill set yet. But I think he's going to be great. What do you think about the way the Panthers are going about this rebuild? I mean, the Matt Rule era felt really clunky to us. It frustrated the, the heck out of us, um, uh, you know, and uh, I, 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 I think they gave him a lot of personnel say when he didn't have much experience at all in the league. To us, it kind of feels like they're on a good path with this rebuild right now. Do you agree or do you disagree with that? Well, all rebuilds start and end with the quarterback. You know, I think rules rebuild would have looked a lot different had they been able to get a quarterback, right? And I think the one thing you have to do when you're rebuilding a team, and especially in your first year, is get a quarterback, right? And when you get a good young quarterback, it takes everything else starts to look good, right? I think that, you know, it, it covers up all the other problems of your team when you have a quarterback that can make plays and do the things. So, yeah, I think this is a team that is coming the right way. You know, they tried to rebuild that offensive line, and it's starting to come around. I think that that their line coach, James Campen, does a great job. Uh, and he had that line going last year. But, you know, then this summer it didn't look as good. But they've got some really good talent. I think they're a draft away from really closing the gap. They need to get better at receiver. We know that. I mean, Chenault's a good player now. He can run with the ball after the catch. They try to get him the ball in a lot of different ways. Uh, you know, they're going to need D.J. Chark to come out there and play because he can clear it. But I think they're on, look, they're on the right track because they got the right quarterback. I mean, that's, that's to me, different than, say, other teams in the league who have drafted a quarterback that aren't on the right track because the quarterback hasn't played to a level. Now, Bryce has got to play to the level that I see his talent shows, but I do believe he will. Michael, you were a major topic of conversation in the preseason because on one of your platforms, you were highly critical of Frank Reich to the point we had to ask if there was something personal there just by judging what you were saying on your audio. What is it about Frank Reich's coaching that you've had such a problem with here? And you said that uh, quite a bit. You know, in my new book, I wrote I wrote about Howard Cosell. And Howard Cosell said, and I, and I think this is really true, he used to say all the time, if we see it, we have to say it. And I think so often in the media, people won't say what they think. I have no personal grudge against Frank Wright. I like Frank Wright. I like a lot of people in that organization. I like Scott Federer. I like a lot of people there. But when you don't let you, when you don't protect your quarterback in the summer, do you want me to say everything's going to be okay? Do you want me to do you want me to say everybody gets to play right field? It'll be good. We'll go to Dairy Queen after the game. I mean, like seriously, it was bad. And Frank has not been very good on opening day. I mean, Frank now is 0-5-1 on opening day. That tells me, are you getting your team ready to play? I would say this to Frank directly as an executive, as somebody who studies the game for a living. I would say it directly. Like, that's not what we are. And the offensive line was not very good this summer. Why? I didn't watch practice 
but it didn't look like they were real physical. And I know how good that line played at the end of the year last year. So I didn't think it was a talent issue as much as it was an execution issue and an attention to detail issue. So, you know, you can say I was being, I was never personal. I'm never personal about anything. I say the truth. I speak what I think. It just sounded like I, it just sounded harsh for preseason. You also question like, should David Tepper be getting crap for Hiram? And it's like we we played a couple well, of preseason games. Like you question well, whether Frank I, I should get another like a second job. I, I haven't heard anyone else question. I, I, I never understood the hire because you know Steve Wilkes did a hell of a job, you know, and Frank didn't do a very good job at Indy as as the years went on in it in Indy it got worse. So I didn't understand the hire. And I think that if you're going to hire a new coach, you want to kind of get off to it. You want to see progress. But it was never personal. Like, it was never personal. I didn't understand the hire. I think Steve Wilkes earned the right to get that job. Now, I don't know if Steve Wilkes could come in with the right staff that made Tepper feel comfortable with him. And I feel like Tepper wanted to get an offensive coach to build a, to draft the quarterback and build a team around. But look, I mean, look at Frank's track record with with quarterbacks. Go to Indianapolis. You got you got Philip Rivers. You know, you got you got Carson Wentz. You got Matt Ryan. I mean, you know, you got to figure out what what's real and what's not. But I don't think anybody I don't think anybody's gotten out of Carson Wentz what he got out of Carson Wentz. Like in Philly, he had him in MVP discussion as the O coordinator. And then even in Indy, the numbers, I know it ended bad, but the numbers he put up, Carson Wentz doesn't do that for anybody but Frank Wright, does he? I mean, Carson, they, they could not wait to get rid of Carson Wentz in Indianapolis. I've never heard an owner say what they said about the player when he left the building. But now, that owner's a know, loon, though. Watch, right? I, I don't know what tape you were watching. That owner's a loon, The tape though. I watched on Carson Wentz in Indianapolis was not very good. Go back and watch games he lost for him. I'm just saying statistically, like, I don't it's, it's, his it's, stats it's, with Frank I mean, Reich are much better than they are with without statistics. Frank I mean, you can do anything you want with statistics. I mean, Pro Football Focus just put out statistics yesterday that said – Justin Fields played better than Jordan Love in the opening game. How are you going to handle that? Yeah, I don't get that one. <laughs> that one we're going to agree on. You mentioned Scott Fitterer in passing. What's your assessment for what we know now? He's removed from that rule, so it's a little early in the full process of him just being the, the main decision maker. But what's your assessment so far of Scott Fitterer as Panthers GM? You know, I think they've done a good job. I think they got a really good young team. I've actually picked them to win the to win the South. I think they can win the South because defensively they're good. You know, and they've got to be able to, to get their players. I mean, J.C. Horn can't keep getting injured. You know, he's one of the best corners when he's on the field. The problem is he's never on the field. He's hurt again. You know, they beat Tampa last year in Tampa if J.C. Horn's healthy. Mike Evans doesn't make three touchdown catches against them. Not a chance. But, you know, I think Scott's done a really good job. I think he picked up some really good pieces. They've got a good young team. And with this quarterback, they've got a chance. Now it's all got to come together. Offense, defense, and then the kicking game. I think it all has to come together. And it really starts and ends with who, what's their identity. See, most teams in the beginning of the season, they lose sight of what's their identity. Who are we? What are we going to become? And when you get the answer to that quickly, and that's part of the problem with preseason, you couldn't see their identity. That's the job of the head coach is to figure out very quickly who are we, what our strengths are, and let's work on that. Last thing I'll ask you about the Panthers. Michael Lombardi uh, is with us. We'll tell you all about his book, too, on the, on the way out the door if you, want to, if you want to buy that and, and learn a little bit about the game. Is the receiving core, 
in watching that game, it felt, and watching it back, and then seeing some of the separation numbers from next gen, it felt like Bryce, he threw the ball away eight times, it felt like guys weren't getting open. Did you feel the same way? And is this receiving core going to be a liability for Bryce in year one? Well, I, I, look, Bill Walsh used to say, and I write about him in my book, the last position you fix on your team is the wide receivers. And because he felt like if you're good up front, offensive and defensive lines, you got a chance. But you're going to have to get better receivers. There's no question about that. I mean, I think there's no question. Look what Tyreek Hill has done for Tua. Look what he's done for Tua. I mean, the, I mean, nobody can cover this guy. And Tua's throwing the ball up in the air, and this guy's five yards away from somebody. But he's a hard guy to find. I think the biggest misconception in the National Football League is number one receivers. Like, people talk like everybody has a number one receiver. And there's really about four or five of them, and that's it. I mean, all summer long, we talked about the, the uh, DeAndre Hopkins as the number one receiver. The guy's averaged 12 yards a catch. Who's he, who are you beating at 12 yards a catch? You know, meanwhile, Tyreek Hill averaged 19 yards a catch against the Chargers. That's what beats you. So I think they got to get better in that area. I think they know it. I think Chenault, they're trying to get him the ball. Chenault's kind of a little bit like uh, Debo Samuel. Good runner, really hard to tackle, inside slot receiver that can make plays. Not going to win on the outside all the time, but inside. I think the challenge for, and I'll go back to it again, who are they? And what kind of team do you need to build around Bryce Young? That's what Scott Federer's job is. When he sits at his desk every morning, he knows Bryce Young's strengths. He knows what he can and can't do. It's going to get better as we move on. But we're going to build this team around him. That's where the Eagles gained an advantage on everybody. They said, you know what? Jalen Hurts isn't a West Coast offense player. He's not a drop-back passer. We're going to come up with a six-back offense, and we're going to utilize his skill as a play-action passer and a runner. And now they are really good at doing that. He is Michael Lombardi. The book is Football Done Right. One more question about your book, because I mentioned Bill Belichick in passing uh, at the beginning of the uh, interview. What's the biggest misconception about Bill Belichick that we wouldn't know if we don't know him? He's one of the best listeners in all of uh, of leaders. I mean, he's, his leaders is le- his, his ability to listen. Now he's not going to listen to somebody who who's talking without any facts or any any study or information or work. But he's a tremendous listener, and he is willing to change and alter based on what the data that's presented in front of them. Mike, appreciate it. Thanks for your time, man. Football done Thanks, right. Guys. Michael Lombardi. Appreciate you, man. Listen to Mac and Bone every weekday morning from 6 to 10. Instant replay continues with more in a moment. Only on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. The exclusive home of the Charlotte Sports Fan. Instant Replay on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNC. Because great radio the second time around is always twice as nice. This afternoon on the Wesson Walker Show. Uh, I teased it in the last bre- in the last segment. I wanted to talk about this a little bit earlier, but we had the unfortunate news. In case you don't know, Brady Christensen, he's on IR. Starting left guard for the Carolina Panthers, suffered a biceps injury at the end of that Atlanta game. So because of that, the Panthers put him on IR. It means he will at least be out for four weeks. Austin Corbett will at least miss three more games at right guard. So now the big question is, do you put Chandler Zavala over there on the left side? Nash Jensen, Cade Mays, whoever on the right side? That's a big question mark. J.C. Horn, we learned today. He's going to miss a couple of weeks. Surgery. 
and IR are both on the table for J.C. Horn, even though none, none of those have happened yet. But he is suffering an, a hamstring injury right now. So we'll see what happens with J.C. All right. So you have some of that going on with the Carolina Panthers. Another question I think is worth asking is the New York Jets, of course, they're in a lot of trouble. We were talking about it in the last segment. A lot of people have thrown around a few names at quarterback that the Jets could go after. Jameis Winston is a popular one. I would like that. People have thrown out, even Cam Newton is throwing his name out. So could we resurrect this conversation? Of course he is. He does it all the time. So Cam Newton is up there. What about Andy Dalton, Wes? Andy Dalton famously made your top 10 list when we ranked the Panthers (laughs) and the Saints in their game last year. But all kidding aside, even if I didn't have him on the top 10 list, I thought Andy Dalton did a pretty nice job with the New Orleans Saints filling in as they clearly were going to get a different QB. Now, of course, they have... Uh, Derek Carr. Should the Panthers look into trading their backup quarterback, Andy Dalton, to the Jets, who I think right now is certainly better than Zach Wilson, and either getting a McCole Hardman, as suggested to us by Brian on the text line. McCole Hardman played zero snaps. He would be a deep threat. We're talking about attacking downfield. Didn't play any snaps in this Monday night football game this past outing. So could be interesting there. Maybe you just want some draft capital. Really, the simple question is, do you think the Panthers should entertain trading Andy Dalton? No, you need a veteran like that. You never know what could happen. You never know how your season's going to turn out if Bryce Young gets hurt and you have a team that is able to be able to make a playoff run, perhaps in this division, then no, you, you can't get rid of him at this point. Matt Corral is gone. Uh, what 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 would you have as your backup quarterback at this point? It's going to be a severe downgrade. I think that was one of the great things you wanted when you brought him in was the experience, the leadership that he's brought in. Plus, you need him to be able to help guide Bryce uh, through some of these times when he makes a mistake. You've got another set of eyes that's not a coach over there that's a player that can relate to this young man. So, no, I don't think you help the Jets out at all. And McCole Hartman certainly isn't worth you giving up a quality backup quarterback with this guy. I mean, he's all speed and that's about it and he doesn't even do much with that so I think you really be wasting mm. your time going to get McCole Hardman. Well McCole Hardman I know we talked about it a little bit in free agency when they were looking at other wide receivers and then he signed with the Jets and we crossed that name off the list. DJ Chark was one of the later guys they signed and so I thought maybe McCole could be that guy that you could get back in a help now situation because the Jets are going to be pretty desperate here. If you depending on who you listen to They might believe in Zach Wilson. I was watching NFL Live yesterday. Dan Orlovsky likes the unknown still with Zach Wilson on this team, that he would like to give Zach more of a shot, and that's what Robert Sala is doing. By all the reports, they indicate that they're going to lean into this Zach Wilson starting at quarterback thing. I think that they're going to, at least at some point, start to search for a different uh, signal caller. It just This roster is too talented. Fiddy was talking about it. We agree on that. This roster is really good, Wes. The defense, fantastic. Even if you don't believe in McCole Hardman, he wouldn't even get any snaps out there. I thought he would, but in two wide receiver sets, they're rolling with Garrett Wilson and Alan Lazard as their guys. And so I think that is a team that could get to the playoffs possibly with a quarterback that you're just asking to manage the game and do the whole game manager thing. I would entertain it, especially if the Jets are desperate. I wonder how much you could get if they choose Andy Dalton as the guy. Hey, this is the one we want to go after. Maybe even more so than Jameis Winston, whoever. If they like Andy, I wonder how much they'd be willing to give up. And if so, the Carolina Panthers could lose a quality backup. You're right about that. But to me, I don't. that doesn't matter as much. 
this season really is all about developing Bryce Young anyway. The only reason Andy Dalton sees the field is if Bryce Young is injured. And if Bryce Young is injured, then you could have a higher pick. No, you don't have your first round selection because you traded it away, but you get a higher second. And so there could be some extra draft capital there. I wouldn't mind it. I'm not saying you give them away for pennies on the dollar. Oh, well, they need some help. Yeah, that doesn't help us. I'm not trying to do that. But I'm not turning them away if they come calling for Andy Dalton. What type of pick would you be thinking about here? Because I'm thinking they wouldn't surrender more than maybe a fourth round, a third round at the most. But I think that's even oh, I, pushing it for the Jets. You think they would? They're so desperate to win right now. Think about all of the hype leading up to this season. It's tough. You got to give this fan base something to lean, and you can only celebrate that win that they had for one night. It's very coach speak, but we're going to celebrate this one tonight. We're going to get ready for the next week. I <laughs> oh, mean, this is how the fans are reacting because what was the main topic of discussion the next day? It wasn't the crazy punt return for a touchdown to win the game. It was our season is bleeped. Robert Sala, they just won the game, and what is his comment post game? I don't know why everybody is writing an obituary for our team name. Well, it's because nobody thinks you're going to compete anymore. I mean, you barely beat the Bills, even if they're a talented team. It took seven turnover-worthy plays and four actual turnovers from Josh Allen. If I Look, even for me as a football fan, I know we got Jets fans out there for sure. I'm feeling for you. Even us as football fans, I want the Jets to be a lot better because I want to see what that roster can do in the postseason. Andy Dalton, to me, gives them a better chance. Whatever quarterback you want to go for. There's not great options, but I wonder if because of that, the Panthers can squeeze them for everything because of the leverage that maybe you get that third-round pick or fourth-round pick, maybe a fifth and McCole Hardman or whatever, right? I know you don't like McCole, but you get the idea. Maybe even a Tashawn Gibson. Maybe they maybe he's for the first-round pick after what he did. But something. They've got a lot of wide receiver depth, especially with some of the guys that made the roster. Yeah, I just... It's interesting because, yeah, you did say you want to see what this roster can do. To me, if it's not Aaron Rodgers under center, I don't really have a ton you think of interest just, in the Jets. just done? Or, yeah. No, I mean, I it's you. just, you know, I don't have a ton of interest in watching them if they don't have Aaron Rodgers. I mean, I think they'll be really good. I think they have a, well, I think they have a chance to be good. And so, uh, but with Rodgers, it makes them must-see TV. With any other quarterback, you know, it's a solid watch, but you'll just be a part of the red zone that I was uh, watching <laughs> as well. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, uh, But I, I just think that with that type of package, unless you can get something substantial, then uh, you aren't going to, to me, benefit yourself a ton by giving up a quality backup because you just don't know uh, how the season is going to go. All right, so we know that the Jets are probably going to rely on a pretty big run game with Brees Hall and Dalvin Cook. I don't, yeah, I mean, the offensive line's not even great. It's how we're in the situation in the first place with Aaron Rodgers. So I don't know. I know that they're going to see if they can rely on the run game and allow Zach Wilson to benefit from a stacked box. Maybe you can get one-on-one -on -one coverage and hopefully there are enough things there to benefit Zach Wilson in what is his third year. I also expect Carolina to lean on the run game. They look good running the football, Wes. Against Atlanta, it's not like it's a great defense, but Chuba Hubbard looked good. Highest graded player offensively for this team after week one. Miles Sanders, 18 rushes. I think gave a quality performance, except for the fumble. That was bad. But Miles Sanders was fine. My question is, are we going to have a conversation about Chuba being better than Miles? Is that a way crazy take after just week one? Or 
is that realistic enough to bring up after a game where he did seem like the guy that was breaking tackles once he got to the second level, even if he only got a third of the carries between the two? Chuba was definitely dynamic in his running. He was breaking a lot of tackles. He had three runs of 10-plus yards. Miles had two of those, and uh, he benefited from that zone scheme, which he was used to in Philadelphia. When you look at the breakdown of the carries and what type of runs that they were, he had 10 runs in the zone scheme, seven in the gap. But I think that Chuba, at this point, I liked what you got from Miles Sanders. I thought you got, uh, besides the fumble, obviously, but 18 carries for 72 yards. I think that is uh, a, a nice day at the office right there. When you talk about the grand scheme of things, want to see him get in the end zone, obviously. Uh, also don't want to see that fumble on the board, no question about it. But Chuba Hubbard on that day, on that Sunday, was the better back overall as far as just popping bigger runs, 6.7 yards per carry as opposed to 4.0. But as far as just not seeing Miles the whole preseason and then what he did deliver, I thought it was promising to say the least. Yeah, I think it was, I, I believe, in Miles Sanders being an adequate runner. If you want to have some criticism towards this team, letting Deontay Foreman go, paying as much money as you did to Miles Sanders, not reserving some of that money for more wide receiver play. I, I don't know, right? I, I think that's something that you could get mad at, but Chuba, he continues to impress when he's handed the football. I do not trust him in passing situations, but when he's getting the football, I think he's proven to be a pretty effective runner. And Miles Sanders had four receptions uh, in this game against Atlanta. thought that was good. We asked about how many catches he was going to have. Four for 26, had six targets. They're throwing to him and looked fine enough. Catching the football. And that's what you wanted. Yeah, it was. So, uh, Miles Sanders is still going to be heavily used in this offense. You also have another guy getting carries. LaVisca Chenault was the only other player to get a carry outside of Bryce Young, taking off himself. Two carries, five yards. We saw a handoff between the tackles. So, on top of those two carries, we also know LaVisca had two receptions in this game. Four touches total. Only had two targets, but four touches total for LaVisca. Wes, I know you want to see him involved a lot more as the season goes on. Well, I just feel like if you're going to come out and say all of these things in the preseason, we're going to use them like the Niners use Debo, and we're going to do this, and we're going to do that, I would feel like he would have a better role than four touches. Uh, I get it that some of the motion that he brings with the jet sweeps and things of that nature definitely helped draw the defense, help define that coverage for Bryce Young, but I would just think that maybe you would want to get into the 8, 9, 10 touch range maybe for him as well. If you're going to talk about him in that light as far as how they're going to use him, because from what we heard from Frank Reich before, you'd have thought he would have been more of a, a, a bigger part in the offense. And so that's my only thing is just I feel like they use him so sparingly. I'm just like, you know, what's the point? Like if the guy's not a true receiver and then if you're only going to give him a couple of carries, like what what really is the point? I think he should have tack on a few more carries. And it may be situational and it may be in this football game, four carries was all that they could muster for him. But I would think maybe to get into that eight eight touch range somewhere in there will be a little bit more suitable for a guy that you really want to use in that light. I do think it is going to be situational. There were 30 carries. There were 32 rushing attempts. There were three from Bryce Young. I guess there was 29. There was close to 30 carries. 18 for Miles Sanders. Nine for Chuba. Two for LaVisca. So between Miles and Chuba, Chuba got a third. Miles got 66. We can do math here. I, I felt pretty good about it, so I went with the math. Um, and LaVisca only had a couple, couple of catches. I think it's fine for the most part. We'll see. I think this is one of those where it's tough to gauge after just one week. 
I think I want to see how many touches he has throughout the first half of the season. But him just being involved matters. It, it, It matters when you put him in motion, you fake it to him. You know, it matters him being out there and then throwing, you know, as a decoy. LaVisca and his value as a decoy, I think that's really important to this offense, too. And Atlanta had to account for him. If you give him enough touches to the point where you have to account for him and it frees up other guys, that's really all I'm asking for. We saw him used, in my opinion, better in this game than we ever saw with Ben McAdoo. And I didn't, I just thought it was way too predictable with LaVisca last year. They were putting him in a situation that calls for his skill set. But it's like, all right, screen pass. We got it. You're going to throw another screen to him. (laughs) They gave you one screen pass with LaVisca. They put him in motion fake. They handed it off to him in the inside. This, to me, fits a lot more to that Cordero Patterson description. We tried to do it last year. They didn't hand it off to him. He wasn't even a running back. That seemed still a little bit too much of a stretch of a comparison. I think this year we're going to see him as a Cordero Patterson light. Not as many touches, but we're going to see some form of that a little bit more so than we did last season. And I'm ready for it. The play calling, that's where it gets interesting a little bit more so. Last question for me to you, Wes. What do you feel about this play calling, not exploring the depths, not having a deep passing attack, no DJ Chark? With everything that you saw out there, do you want to wait and see more? Or do you think that this is a sign of things to come where they're not going to be looking to attack downfield? I think that you definitely want to see more aggression out of the offense. And an article just dropped today about how uh, air yards are down all across the NFL. And a lot of teams are going with the shorter to intermediate passing game. So maybe it's just a league-wide thing. But I think that uh, I feel like if you are the Carolina Panthers, you're coming out with not much to lose as far as it goes with you having the rookie quarterback and different things of that nature. So why not be aggressive? But maybe Wright feels like he doesn't necessarily have the personnel to be able to do so, especially without a true deep threat out there to take the top off of the defense. So who knows what the thinking is uh, in that building? It's just that once he said what he said in the preseason, and it's like, okay, are we going to see some dynamic, aggressive play calling? And I'm not necessarily sure that we saw that that in game one but uh it's an ever-growing process i'm sure with this offense and as bryce gets more comfortable so who knows what we'll see on monday night yeah he said he it was unacceptable that they didn't have enough deep passing plays so if it's unacceptable you got to take some shots man to keep the defense honest yep and especially if new orleans is going to take some deep shots with rashid shaheed who looked very good with the new orleans saints This cornerback room is not looking good right now with J.C. Horn out for this week. Expected to miss a couple of weeks. IR, surgery, both on the table. And Michael Thomas is healthy enough to be out there on the field. Even if he's not what he once was, he's going to be a guy that can continue to move the chains. Love going with uh, um, Carlton Davis's slogan about him being the slant god. All right, There's still a role for slant god. With New Orleans. And Chris Olave <laughs> is the real deal. It is. So if you're going to have to keep up with that kind of offense, you might not have a choice. Going to have to attack downfield, TMJ. And I will say this, DJ Shark does look like he's coming back, which is very nice. That's a good thing. Yeah, very good thing. Especially can create separation in the deep game. So hopefully that takes place. You can hear Wes and Walker live and local every weekday afternoon from noon to 3. Sit tight and stay locked because Instant Replay continues next. Only on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNC. The exclusive home of the Charlotte Sports Fan. You're listening to 
Instant Replay on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNC. Because great radio the second time around is always twice as nice. Earlier this afternoon on the Kyle Bailey Show. Longtime Tar Heel, former head coach, national champ as a player. He's got a great podcast, Rebound, over at WBT Radio, where he heads after this. We got Coach Matt Daugherty back in the house. What's up, Coach? Oh, man, it's good to be back. Good to be back. Sunday night, I hear that you were uh, yeah. at that Cowboys-Giants d- demolition. Yes. Wow. Yes. I am. Uh, I roomed with Steve uh, Jones, Daniel Jones's dad, when I first moved to Charlotte in 88, and... Um, you know, and then his son Bates played basketball for Bob McKillop at Davidson and, you know, Daniel at Duke and then obviously with the Giants. So Steve has been kind to invite me and my family to some games. So I hated it to ask for the Cowboy game, but that's the only time I, my schedule allowed me to go to a game. Yeah, yeah. And we all jacked up and it was pouring down rain and and got to go into the box with uh, Steve and his family and, you know, like 25, 30 people in there. And uh, started off great, marched down the field, then <laughs> offsides call and a botched snap. And the momentum in the air came out of that crowd, that stadium, instantaneously. And it could never be recovered. It was so bizarre. And then I was shocked at, at how many Cowboy fans were in MetLife Stadium. They're everywhere. I know they travel, but the Giants... No, no, no. They don't just travel. They're everywhere. Yeah, the, they live right. everywhere. They're, but, you know, flying back to North Carolina, we saw a bunch of fans in the airport. But the, how loud they were in... At, I grew up going to Giant games. You know, my dad had season tickets going back to Yankee Stadium. And you have to, to, to be able to buy season tickets. People have to die. So they're loyal fans, but they sell out. They sold out on their their hometown team because that crowd was huge and made an impact. It was like a home game for the Cowboys. No, well, that's the thing. We've seen them come here. Uh, I've seen rowdy crowds, Steelers fans, Bills fans. Nothing's quite like Dallas. Yeah, but again, we're not talking. No offense, we're not talking about the Carolina Panthers. We're part, talking about one of the founding fathers franchises of the NFL and the Giants. You know, with this loyal fan base. But they they sold out, and I was disappointed in in my 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 fan base. I hate to hear that. So you were there, yeah. Uh, then a couple of days later, or I'm sorry, the very next, next night, night, same there, stadium, same stadium. Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, I was watching it on TV. We we our flight was canceled because of rain. So my <laughs> wife and I got a hotel near the airport, and my guy said, "Honey, I want to get back and watch the game, and you know the excitement." And we all saw it, like. As a Jet, like, I, you grow up, I like the Jets and the Giants, right? I, I remember watching Joe Namath practice at Hofstra with my what my dad took me. Isn't that like rooting for Alabama and Auburn? Not really. No? Not really. Okay. And and, and so, you know, I'm happy when Klecko and those guys did well and Parcells, you know, did well with them. You want to see your New York teams do well. And the Jets just cannot. If they didn't have bad luck, there'd be no luck at all. Just they can't get out of their own way. That's unlike anything I've ever seen before, though. And we talked about this yesterday. I couldn't care less about Jets fans or the New York Jets. And I don't mean like they're being a jerk. I just, right. I have, I'm indifferent entirely. Sure. Don't care about their sure. plight, whatever. I was so sad for those people on, right. Saturday, on Sunday night or Monday night. 
Because even if you hated Aaron Rodgers, you wanted to see it play out. That's right. You don't want to see that happen. And because it's the Jets, had that happened to Aaron Rodgers with the Patriots or the Steelers or the you know a, a different established franchise that had titles or had a better run of luck. But, I mean, these people can't win for losing. I mean, they, they can't no, exactly. catch a break. It, 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 and then Zach Wilson comes in, and boy, oh, boy, is that dude shaky. You know, um, Troy Aikman was very kind when uh, he he threw a pick over the middle and the linebacker, middle linebacker, uh, Milano, I think his name is. Um, I remember that because that's a, 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 cookie. a cookie. Yeah. And um, good cookies. Good cookie. And um, like he didn't look him off. I mean, he threw it right to him. The guy's just studying his eyes. Yeah. He didn't look him off. That's just nuance of. Athletics. I'm not talking about being a quarterback. I'm talking about being a basketball player. You you got to look off the defender, that, and that's like quarterbacking 101. Troy Aikman analyzed the play and basically said as such, uh, kinder and gentler, but basically <laughs> like, hey, like dumb. Yeah. Did I say ass on the radio. Why not? Yeah, dumbass. Like. You, you got to look him off. Like yeah. you threw it right to him. Well, if, if if Troy was kind, Peyton Manning certainly wasn't. There's no Peyton. Peyton didn't leave any question. He's not a Zach Wilson fan. I think he even asked the question when Rodgers went down. Who even is their backup quarterback? Do they have one? I thought it was only Aaron Rodgers. Um, but I like the point you made right there. Uh, and and then to see Zach Wilson take the field under those circumstances, bizarre. It, it's it's almost unlike anything that we've seen in sports. And we had a, a long conversation about that yesterday. But I, I do want to move on with you sure. because there are a lot of folks out there that would love your thoughts on this. I know it's football, but you know the NCAA. Yeah. Uh, you know a lot of folks right now in Chapel Hill who have been dealing with this Tez Walker situation, and it's still not resolved. And last week when it, when, it, when they found out that Tez had been denied his appeal again, Mac and Bubba Cunningham just go scorched earth on the NCAA. Uh, Mac says he's lost all faith in their ability to lead and guide uh, the student athletes and you know the product essentially. Now the NCAA responds to North Carolina, um, saying that they're disappointed, they're troubled by the public remarks, uh, they contradict what the you know we and our fellow Division One members and coaches called for vociferously, including UNC's own football coach. We're a membership organization. Then they cited uh, they'd even gotten some death threats and. Uh, What's again? It's unlike much we've ever seen before. Yeah, it, it, here's the deal. Uh, Charlie Baker takes over for Mark Emmert. I think Mark Emmert had his head in the sand for years. Um, was so out of touch with the athlete and the coaches, and so I think there was a sense the, here. It's kind of a double whammy, right? The the NCAA did want more structure when it came to transfers. Yes. We didn't want it to be the wild, wild west. You wanted some control. Yes. However, when you have a player like Tez Walker, who, you know, started out at NC Central, right? And then the season was canceled because of COVID. Then he transfers to Kent State. His coaching staff leaves, and he transfers to North Carolina. And the mental health thing is very tricky, right? It, very tricky. And, and the NCAA makes a comment that citing extenuating factors, this is a quote, such as mental health, does not necessarily support a waiver request, but instead may, in some situations, suggest a student-athlete should be primarily focused on addressing those critical issues during the initial transition to a third school. Okay, fair. However, 
you know, football is a big part of their mental health. They want to feel a part of a team uh, and, and, and such. But my point being, this kid announced his transfer two days before the, the new rulings were instituted by the NCAA. And so as you make this transition to going back to some of the old ways, you should have some leniency in the transition period. And, and and there is gray in leadership. I'm a guy that was always black and white. As I got older and more experienced, I realized there's nuance. There's gray. And you got to be able to operate in the gray. And that's where leadership comes in. And I don't think the NCAA knows how to manage that gray area. There is. I, I don't believe there is any real leadership um, that is looking out for the entirety of college athletics. I believe that there are some powerful leaders who are in charge of their own conferences, of, of their own universities, maybe. But I don't believe there's anybody looking out for the holistic best interest of, of, you know, of college athletics. And it shows in the way the decisions are being made. And I, I don't know what statement is being sent here by the NCAA and in, in keeping Tez Walker off the field. I did see the Charlotte Observer editorial board wrote a collective statement condemning the NCAA and supporting Mac Brown. I think that came out earlier today. Lots of folks feel that way. And even in the, in the face of that much backlash, they're standing by a decision that doesn't make any sense. But what we have in college athletics, I think right now, are certain individuals with a lot of power who are very adept at making money and advancing the cause of the specific organization, conference, uh, body that they oversee. But nobody's looking out for the entirety of college athletics. It doesn't really exist. The NCAA does in name only, but even though we know in practice that that's not what they do. Yeah. And, and, and when, when I was working, especially a place like Kansas, anywhere, we used to joke like, okay, if you called and got somebody, you got a ruling you didn't like, you hang up and call back and you get somebody else until you get the ruling you wanted. Because they're not consistent. And, and I do think that they're out of touch because, you know, I don't know the, st the data. Right. But my guess is less than 25% of the people who worked in the NCAA played or coached college athletics. So they don't have any understanding of what a Tez Walker or a Mac Brown is going through and understanding the frustration uh, that they're dealing with and, and the optics. At the end of the day, it's bad optics. You know, you could hold the ground, you know, Tyler Brown, who's at Colorado. He, he's had mental health issues and recently had his eligibility waiver denied by the NCAA for the double transfer rule. He started at Louisiana, went to Jackson State, and followed Deion Sanders to, to Colorado. So, you know, I think as you make this transition to re in reinforcing some old rules, there's got to be a little bit of an onboarding ramping up process along the way. Yeah. Coach Matt Daugherty in studio with us on a Wednesday. Good to see you, buddy. We'll talk to you next week. Always a pleasure. There you go. Coach Matt Daugherty stopping through. You tuned into Instant Replay when the audio was so good, it has to be heard again. Only on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. The exclusive home of the Charlotte sports fan.